Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Dear Asian Girl. Today, we're going to be recording a off-season slash pre-season episode for all of you guys. Um, And we're actually going to be talking about our hobbies and the ways we express ourselves creatively. We just want to have a really chill, chatty episode today about some fun, lighter topics. And we're actually going to be giving you guys a quick little sneak peek into some discussions we may or may not be having in season seven. So based on what we talk about, uh, see if you guys can try to figure out what kinds of things we're going to be talking about in season seven for all of you. And just to remind everybody about who we have here with us, my name's Meghna Nair. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I am currently based in Los Angeles, and I am Indian, specifically Malayali. And I'm joined here by my four lovely co-hosts. Let's have them take it away. Hello, everyone. My name is Abby or Abigail Lee. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm based in the lovely city of Seattle, uh, and I am Korean. Hi, everyone. My name is Eden, or Eden Ng, if you can pronounce my surname. My pronouns are she, her. I'm based in a really nice city outside of West London, which I will not name, Um, and I am Chinese-Malaysian. Hi, everyone. My name is Isabel Leong. My pronouns are they, she. Uh, I'm currently based in Boston, Massachusetts, but soon I'll be in Pittsburgh, and I'm Vietnamese Burmese. Hi, everyone. I'm Nana Geary. I go by she, her pronouns. I am currently living in Singapore. I have been for the past three years, but I'm from Los Angeles, and I'm Indian, specifically Punjabi. Okay, now that we've gotten our intros from all of our lovely co-hosts, let's just jump right into our conversations. So all of us are some pretty big bookworms. We're always reading, always have wonderful thoughts about the different books that we're reading. Does anyone have any particular book that they've read recently or any any thoughts about a summer reading list? So I've been a bookworm since I was a kid, but some pretty up and down my relationship with books and and reading. I always have these big gaps and then I return to reading and I'm like, why did I ever stop? But I got super into it in my like mid late kind of teens that's when I like popped off and read so much young adult because you can consume it so quickly and also because of COVID and just the pandemic it meant I got so much reading done so my good goodreads reading challenges are insane for uh 2018 to like 2020 okay well COVID's only one of those years but I don't know what was wrong with me in 2018 and 2019 that I was reading this volume but my challenges are literally 47 books, 62 books, and 70 books under COVID. Um, and now I think I've read like 10 this year. So we're, we've got a bit to catch up on. Um, but yeah, I do really love reading. And it's not about the amount you read. Obviously, here I am stating numbers. Um, but I am really proud of those numbers because I was just sat there reading books back to back all day. And I used to like bring in my my book that I'm reading each day to school with me, even if I didn't actually have any time to read it in school, because it was such a thing for me that I was like the bookworm. And my teachers would ask about what book I was reading. Whenever I walk into a lesson, I just felt like a celebrity. Anyway, slash nerd. No, I love that, Eden. I relate to that so much because I also had that reputation as a kid. Um, All of my friends would tell you that I'm like that kid who would like sit 
at the lunch tables alone with my book, just constantly reading. And I swear to God, in middle school, every single day before school started, I would be in the middle school library, sitting between the bookshelves, reading whatever book, series, or individual book that I was like super into at the time. And I would just be constantly, constantly reading. But like the sharp decline in amount of books that I have read or had time to read from like middle school to high school to college was just such a sharp gradient. Like it was like a steep downward slope and it it causes me pain every single time I think about it because like I used to be that girl, you know, the bookworm girl. And now I just can't call myself that anymore because it just, it wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be accurate anymore. And I'm like trying so hard to get back into reading. So in the course of this conversation, if anybody has like some really good book recommendations to like ease back into that kind of lifestyle of just reading constantly, I would love that so much. No, Magna, I feel you so much because I've been in the deepest of reading slums, especially this year. There's just something about this year, not just academic year, but just calendar year as well that I've just been struggling with reading. Like I even got um like three or no, like five books from a library that I did not touch. That was like four weeks ago and they were just rotting in my cupboard. And then I realized that I'm getting, um you know, deducted money for over, over booking my stay or whatever. So I did make sure they returned them without even opening them though. So that was a bit um of a fail. But the first book that I read this year after like my slump was No Longer Human which um is a bit of an intense read yeah yeah uh for people who can't see Magna's like Magna's like gesturing very intensely well I I want to hear your input but um no th- I, I just think that's crazy because I read that book like recently with my one of my most recent books that I read I will be completely honest I read it because of an anime called Bungo Stray Dogs where one of the main characters is Dazai Osamu and his ability is no longer human which is based on the book no longer human Aww. And my friends knew I was obsessed with him. So they're like, we're going to buy you the actual memoir. And one of my friends got me like a manga version of it. And it is like, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, the- it's disturbing, obviously, but like the illustrations are so gorgeous. I, I think the reason, okay, I, I already knew of like No Longer Human for quite a while. And like it was on my list. I don't recommend it for like an initial, like, like first book to like ease yourself back into reading because, um, there's no easiness with the book, but um, no, I read it mainly because I read like an article about the manga, not the actual book itself. So there you go. But um, is anyone else going to your reading slump or is anyone else like thriving in a very intense reading era? I want to say something because you guys are like the three, like you guys are the people that like I wanted to be like in high school and like growing up because I always like, like Heike, like didn't like reading, but like also really wanted to be a reader like I started reading books because I was like I want to be that kid that like always reads like I want to be that kid who always is carrying around a book because I thought it was so cool and like so like quote-unquote intellectual for people to like read but I just like never got into it because I think I never found like the books in school the like the books like 
we read in English class, like super interesting. So I was like, oh, I, I'm not a reader. Like, because there were kids in my class who loved the books we read. But I was like, oh, these books are like just really boring. Like, I don't want to talk about them or whatever. But then when I started reading books that like actually pertain to things I was interested in and re- I could relate to, that's when I started becoming a, more of a reader and I started reading more. I still want to like try to read at least like 20 books. I think my goal this year is uh 25 books and I'm like at 20 right now and it's like halfway through the year so I'm really proud of myself but yeah definitely the mix of like non-fiction books and then like lightening it up with young adult books has been super helpful in like getting into a groove like after I'll read like a heavy non-fiction book I'll just read like four <laughs> like young adult books or like just like fiction books to just chill out um to like give myself a break before getting back into something that's a little bit more academic I totally get what you're saying about like switching between genres or even like lengths of book or like just swapping between the kinds of books that you're reading full stop or whatever that might mean. Um, And I totally get you as well about not being that interested as a kid because I didn't really get into reading until I was not even mid, probably like late teens, which was not that many years ago. And it really is because when you're in school, I feel like you're studying texts that are generally from the canon, which means they probably have no characters that resemble us and if we are in books if we do sort of see a glimpse of like oh my god that person I kind of relate to them they're probably a side character or they're a gimmicky character or they're the villain or it doesn't paint us in a very positive light and so we're reading books constantly not seeing positive or very much representation and of course that isn't going to want to make you continue going back to reading Um, but I feel like what you're saying about nonfiction is so true because I really hit a groove with nonfiction when I started reading nonfiction that like I related to on a cellular level. And I really got that with Tash Orr, who I only discovered like a few months ago, probably like right at the end of my degree when I was doing my dissertation. One of the tutors that I went to for a meeting, like really fleetingly mentioned Tash Orr. And I was like, oh, who's that? And I was like, oh my God, he's literally like, he's literally me, but a man. And he's writing about his Chinese Malaysian identity and how no one gets it and writing about all these experience that, experiences that completely summarized my existence. And I was like, oh my God, I was literally like pushed to tears. Like I went back to this tutor, like nearly cried. And I was like, I literally didn't know this person existed. I've been in education my entire life. And only now am I reading someone who feels like, who makes me feel like I matter and I makes me feel understood. And I feel like that's what reading is for and what education is for and what the education system is just so missing and why so many kids feel like they don't like books. I just wanted to say, like, I honestly haven't been doing a lot of reading, mostly because, oh, God, uh, I don't know if anyone else can relate, but my attention span is fried. Um, But I will say I've always been someone who more recently I've gotten a little bit jaded with a lot of fiction, which I think is kind of mean sometimes. Like fiction, I think, deserves a lot more love than I give it. But that has, uh, I'm a heavy nonfiction reader. And for me, I've been doing a lot of reading specifically about uh, a lot of Korean history. I'm currently reading a book about uh, the Cold War and the colonization of Korea and how that kind of affects the cuisine and the eating habits today. And it's something where, I'm not going to lie, it it makes it even harder to read because it's not necessarily like I'm even reading a fun story. I'm like, hmm, let me read this academic book. And then I'm like, 
oh no wonder you haven't picked it up in a month oh even if I think the subject is interesting it's just like I should make my life easier if I want to read more and maybe I should look to read more fun things no I totally understand that um I I would say I usually have um, a pretty clear bias towards fiction, actually, just because, you know, it's easier for at least me to get engaged with it. And a lot of nonfiction books, especially with really pertinent topics in like the social justice arena, for example, can be really heavy. Like I just finished um, Just Mercy a couple, I would say weeks ago, and it was a really hard book to get through, not because it was... um, like uninteresting or anything it was so interesting and the stories had so much like power to them it was just I had to like take a break to like digest what I had read and just like the significance of what I had read and the just the amount of cruelty that was expressed in this book through like the experience of this individual who was writing this memoir and I actually also want to speak on what Eden talked about about like finding it hard to find books that you kind of see yourself in or that you feel reflect you and your individual experience and your identity because I would say like that difficulty in finding those types of books is what like pushed me um, particularly towards the realm of like writing and why I chose to start writing instead of just reading because I wanted you know I wanted something that was for me I wanted I wanted to see myself expressed in the same mode as all these other people are finding their stories reflected. And I would say writing for me was, it's a bit of a complicated history because I I started writing at a really, really young age. Like I cannot remember a time when I wasn't writing because like one of my earliest memories is in first grade, I was writing a story about this girl who like fell into a well and then she just ended up in Candyland. And it, it was like, Obviously, all the logistics weren't worked out. I was like six years old and I was I cared more about like the font color and the clip art illustrations on the side. But like that, just the idea of creating something from nothing was so powerful to me. And the idea of of, you know, making my own story, creating my own story was just so beautiful to me. And that like carried out throughout my life. And it was also like a little bit of a struggle with my Asian identity specifically because like. I stopped writing for a long time because I was struggling with so many identity problems and I just didn't know how to express that. And it just like writing became more of an escape method rather than enjoyment. And that just ruined it for me. And yeah, I mean, I eventually got back into it, but it was it was a rocky road. And I think it's so like interesting and powerful and poignant the ways that like creative writing as an expressive outlet can be used to really like reconcile aspects of identity. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. And I think previously when I when people would bring up reading fiction, I'd be like, oh, that those are just like stories. Those are just kind of like, oh, like I need to read nonfiction. Like that's the academic, like I'm really learning from that. But recently I've been challenging myself to read more fiction and it's honestly been a little bit more eye-opening than I ever thought and it really showed me a lot of the truths that exist in the world especially speculative fiction um and it it fiction really has surprised me because it really forced me to divulge into what certain things really mean and how certain characters are acting in the parallels that their actions have within like 
different um different themes and obviously like different aspects I love reading books that tackle class and race and um have kind of that almost social justice arena kind of air to them um but similar to you I got into writing because I felt like I didn't see the stories that I wanted to read about in in writing or in in books out there so I kind of started writing to like as an outlet one like journaling and like reflecting on things that I had read but also just writing about like stories that my mom has told and um writing about things that you know maybe I wish I would have happened or when I was really frustrated or sad or angry I found that I tried to find find out why I felt that way or I've tried to figure out oh if if I'd be angry and I'd be like if this was different then I it would have been so much better or yada 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 um so senior year we at my school we have a month off and we basically just do this we we spend 100 hours doing this project and I thought I was going to do an internship I thought I was just going to get a a volunteering job somewhere maybe somewhere like the state house or doing something political but I kind of realized that this was a time that I wanted to explore something that I knew I would never do or I never thought I would do with a hundred hours of time to spend working on myself. And one of the goals that I've always had is to write a book, whether it was when I was 30 or 60 or even now. So I decided to collaborate with my English teacher and write write a book, or write a short, a book, a uh, collection of short stories so I created this book titled My Mother's Nail Salons, um, and it's a collection of poems and short stories about my mom, my relationship with my mom, um, and and yeah, so I wrote a lot about my mom's immigration uh, to the U.S. from Vietnam. She grew up in the Vietnam War, and her dad unfortunately passed away uh, before she came to the U.S. as a refugee, and then I also wrote about my mom's nail salons and her success in business, but then how those beauty standards and the ideals surrounding beauty have basically raised me. And through through that, I really had trouble expressing my queerness and gender expression because I was surrounded by hyperfemininity my whole life. So those are topics I explore in this book. I also explore topics of just kind of generational trauma and um I've learned so much from writing this book between realizing when to stop writing things, when to when I realized that certain stories were just turning into journal entries. Um, I wasn't telling or I wasn't showing. I was telling. I wasn't writing a compelling story. I was just kind of expressing the way I felt, uh, which is one of the most interesting things that I took away from this project was learning to really show and know that some stories are a little bit too personal right now. Some stories happened a little bit too soon right now. So especially surrounding my queerness and my gender expression, I haven't really hashed out all of that yet. So writing about it, I only really could write about those stories in like middle school and like sixth grade, where I kind of started realizing that, oh, maybe I don't want like a middle school boyfriend. Maybe I don't want to like hang out with that guy just because, you know, everyone's like, oh my gosh, he likes you. So that's kind of the stuff that I wrote about early on. And then I had to uh, stop myself from writing about a lot of the stuff that happened more recently. Um, yeah. That is so inspiring. You are so inspiring as well. I can't believe you just casually wrote an entire memoir. 
Like I was out here. No, I'm not going to shame Wattpad um, writers. However, I was one of them. And I'm sure the kind of stuff I was, Abby's putting like the craziest bit. Like, um, I realize you can't see any of us, but just imagine like that face you make when your hand's like in front of your face and it's like a really aggressive claw. Anyway, yeah, I did say Wattpad, Isabel. I was a very intense Wattpad writer. Um, I'm not going to disclose any information about my username. I think the books still exist. And I did, I didn't have that much of my following, but I had like a couple of thousand on each book and I was really into it. Anyway, I want to swiftly move on. Um, but yeah, just so cool that you just wrote a memoir with your teacher. That is adorable and very queer as well, can I say, to collaborate with your teacher, with your English teacher. Um, but yeah, Abby, I really want to hear your input into this because you've been kind of quiet because I know you don't have much to say in the book realm but I'd love to hear your input now that we're segueing towards queerness you know we can still kind of remain in the world of literature because uh even though it's not necessarily doing a uh, writing about it uh within my kind of my parts of my queer identity I've actually spent a a lot of time doing a lot of comics um and whether that is like a zine or whatever, I've always found that in my kind of experiencing and realization of my identity and my sexuality, a lot of it is funnily enough, like you could kind of read it in a comic form from all of my different diaries and journals. There's my little character I draw of myself. And it's been a really interesting way to kind of use that medium to better understand myself. Because I, I do like writing. I just... I don't know. There's something about it where um, I'm a visual. I'm a visual learner. Hey, gotta literally draw it out. But I, I think that I wish we could spend like 30 years talking about um, queerness and Asian identity because I think there's so much to say. But I think we'll have to save that for another day because we're talking about literature right now. We're talking about literature. Maybe we can ask me when I'm not currently in a heterosexual relationship. Uh, don't worry about it though. Don't worry about it. Anyways, <laughs> Nina, do you have anything to say about literature in general? Do you write? No, it's just so funny because um, not that I think she's listening. I I don't I don't think I hope she's not. But um, my <laughs> my ex um is date. Well, she just got out of a heterosexual relationship, and I used to mock her so much for like jokingly, of course, like oh, character switch up, character development. But um, then like they had a really messy breakup, and I was like oh sorry <laughs> anyways um in terms of queerness and literature because sorry. I still want to like yeah sorry <laughs> um but queerness and literature I I was thinking um of how much queer literature I've read it's honestly quite lim it's more it's limited it's, it's like more limited than I want it to be um one of the really like positive or really like impactful pieces of queer literature that I read was um I read two things by um Carmen Maria Machado, if I'm getting her name right. Um, I think she was a quite all of her book talk in a certain period, but um her body and other parties, it's a collection of short stories that was very vivid. Yeah, yeah, people have heard of it. And then I also read her um her uh autobiographical memoir called In Her Dream House, which was a very experimentative um collections of writing. I it, i read it like a year ago, so I'm not gonna recall exactly what it was or exactly the experience. But honestly, it just felt like a, a flow, like um, a never-ending flow of thought, you know, like a never-ending like, trade of thought, you know? So it just felt so raw, felt so unfiltered, and felt like 
much more accessible not just to read but also just to like like it showed me writing in a much more accessible way like there wasn't any like extremely like um extremely consciousness yeah I don't know why that term was slipping my mind <laughs> thank you Eden but um yeah because the way she wrote it wasn't like so highly pretentious or so highly like well-versed it wasn't like oh this is like, an unattainable level or talented writing it was just so real like literally from the brain to the mouth to the paper you know so I think that book sort of inspired me to start writing very amateur not poetry but like some sort of like prose just like it's pretty much diary shit it's not the shit that Isabel's doing but just like it I feel like reading is a very positive segue into being more emotionally mature and aware so um can anyone else relate to that really quickly uh not only do I think reading does make you more emotionally mature I just remembered I do have a book recommendation that is relevant to kind of the comic niche which I've been talking about uh it's my lesbian experience with loneliness it is a manga made by Nagata Kabi and it is so good I remember I had read this like years ago and it was like I remember like reading it in bed and I was like oh my god I love it. Um, I Not only do I really like the art style, but I think for a lot of people who maybe kind of grew up a little bit more awkwardly with their sexuality and like kind of it was something that was a very daunting thing for them to get through. It is a very incredible read and very rarely do we kind of see literature from people in Asian countries uh, writing about gay things that get pretty um, big in the non-Asian countries. Anyways. Isabel. Oh my god, like sort of the book. I'm gonna read that. That looks so good. Um, I was gonna talk about talk a little bit about poetry and how I feel like when I started writing poetry, it used to be like so it to me it was so cheesy and I like couldn't, I just couldn't like read it because it was it just gave so like not like oh it just was so like yeah I didn't want to like name drop but yeah um. But I realized, <laughs> I realized that um, that that's kind of what it is, especially when I was talking about like deep things that I didn't really talk about with my friends and like I didn't really feel comfortable talking about with my family, like writing about things that were super personal, um, almost felt kind of awkward because I had never confronted them with other people. And poetry was a way for me to start getting into writing longer pieces because I just got the main emotions and the main feelings um out on paper and then I would take those emotions and then expand them a lot more with stories and stuff like that which is kind of how I got started writing so I started short with poetry and then I went I went into longer pieces yeah Rupi don't cancel us (laughs) um but yeah does anyone else have any experiences writing? Nana, I know you talked a little bit about poetry, but do, have you written like any longer pieces? Honestly, no. I think the only longer pieces I've written were like school assignments. And then I feel like you you, you should get that like adrenaline rush after you finish your piece. So it's like, oh, I can do this more. And then kind of dies down. Um, That's been my experience. But um, with poetry, I feel like, I don't know, for me personally, there's like less pressure to be so like, showy or to like really like um and like in terms of like creativity having like something that is like very like perfect or very beautiful or very like nuanced off the bat I don't know your experiences about and I'm opening up to everyone to everyone else to answer 
I don't know your experience of like feeling pressure when you're in the creative process to create something so insanely like layered and profound at a first um at a first try or first bat. But I think yeah, especially with like when you're talking about like such insane not insane, but like intense issues or intense like emotions or feelings that you're not gonna share with like people in your social circle, like your friends, your family. I feel like as you start to keep those emotions in, they just intensify as time goes on. So it becomes even harder, even like more difficult to put it out on paper. So I think, I feel like it's very healthy to just like, not even to like, for the purpose of like producing something great or producing something, um, you know, to like show off as like a creative, like piece of work. I think it's just pure health to like, almost like, for lack of a less um, aggressive word, like purge yourself of like those um, things that are like, you know, confuddling and meshing up in your brain. I think writing for me has been like a source of just like, self-therapy in that way not necessarily to be um creative no yeah I just wanted to answer Nana's um question about like this this pressure to to kind of be perfect in the creative space because I feel like I relate to that so much um I would consider myself a bit of a perfectionist like whenever I I write something like I have this like this insane desire to just make sure that every word is like perfect, precise, that it has the exact kind of connotation and that it works in the phrase and the wording exactly how I want it to be. And I feel like part of that comes from this like kind of feeling that I've carried for like a long time about like my story is not interesting enough for people to want to like hear for me to share. And like growing up, like like I mentioned a little bit previously, like I had this huge like reading and writing slump because like I was hearing all these amazing stories from all these different people. And I was like self-reflecting and being like, I don't know if I have something of that caliber to share. Like, I don't know if I have something that people would want to like learn about or listen to. And I mean, part of that, like, that's kind of where a little bit of the resentment kind of grew in, like me specifically towards my Asian identity. Um, I, I started feeling this little bit of resentment because I'm like, I'm I'm not relevant and no one wants to like listen to who I am. And a lot of that came out in my poetry. I remember I had this, this huge phase as a little girl where I hated my name. I like dis- despised my name like I didn't like the meaning I didn't like the sounding I would go off on my poor mom like why did you name me this why couldn't you have named me something prettier something more meaningful something more significant and oh my god I carried so much like just aching as a little girl and I mean my very first poem that I ever wrote was a kind of reclamation of my name I literally called it like clouds because that's what my name means it na- my name means my name's Meghna in Sanskrit it means rain bearing cloud and like the whole poem was about how I had carried that resentment but then I learned to love my name and love my story because I'm the one who gives my story meaning I'm the one who gives myself my being my identity significance and just learning that all of that is inherent and that does not need to come from outside sources of validation so I just wanted to share that with you guys so yeah I I really felt that when you when you mentioned that Nana. Everyone is crying, screaming, tearing their hair out right now. I'm pretty sure I just shed a tear. That was so beautiful, Megna. Um, I'm going to cycle back to the name thing, but I just want to quickly chip in on this whole perfectionism kind of thing. I feel like there is such, or I personally feel, well, clearly we all feel, this real intense pressure to achieve perfection on our first attempt at doing anything. 
And I feel like that's especially ingrained in us as Asian kids who are terrified of failure. And I know for me, at least, my kind of fear of failure stems from being a second generation kid who feels like her parents like flew over to this country, went through so much like unbelievable strife to get here and have like essentially sacrificed, well, not sacrificed their lives, but like sacrificially committed their entire lives to ensuring their kids' lives are all set up for and that they're set up for success. And so that means that if I do anything that kind of slips up or fails, even if no one's telling me that I'm a failure, I'm going to feel like I am a failure. And that's going to be the worst thing ever because yes, you learn from your mistakes, but why am I making mistakes? And my parents went through so much to get me here in the first place to this land of opportunity. And so perfectionism is like really ingrained in us as Asian kids, I feel like. And I think that's something you can relate to even if you're not second generation, if you're first generation or like third generation, or I feel like this kind of intergenerationally ingrained lesson is sort of it's lasting you know it's there for a lot of us but the name thing oh my god first of all it's adorable that your name means cloud that is why I shed a tear that is the most beautiful name meaning in the world apart from the other girlies here I'm sure you all have beautiful name meanings and everyone listening I'm sure everyone has beautiful meanings to their name anyway I completely relate illegally on my birth certificate my English name is actually my middle name so everyone calls me Eden but it's not legally my first name which was really wild when I kind of processed that because my first name is my like Mandarin name my Chinese name but when anyone calls me it it feels like they're not calling me it feels so alien because I've gone by Eden my entire life and it feels really strange for someone to call me by my by what is my legal forename which is really sad to think about but the fact that I even need an English name in this country well the reason I have an English name is because when my parents, um, well, when my parents had us, well, my eldest brother was born in Singapore, but the other three of us were all born in the UK. And so they gave us English names because they were like, well, we live in England now. People have to be able to pronounce your name and recognize your name. So we give you English names and they can be your middle names, but people will, will call you them. So they'll essentially be your first names. And that's just like the, that need to compromise is just it's so common I see this happen with so many Asian families and it's really sad that like we have to make the compromise and it's not other people making the compromise by learning how to pronounce our names and learning what foreign and I'm going to say that in like quotation marks foreign names how you pronounce them um but yeah Isabel go ahead chip in yeah um I talk about this a little bit in the kind of collection of stories I wrote about how my mom has a quote-unquote American name and then she has her Vietnamese name and it was always so confusing to go back and forth because some people knew her by her quote-unquote American name and some people knew about her by her real name and people would always ask me to explain what was going on and I'd be like I don't know like I really can't explain all of this like all this like complicated the reasons why she needs this for her business and why it's easier for people to understand her if she goes by Lauren and not uh, Tram like it was it was really complicated for me when I was younger because I kind of I I go by my middle name as well Uh, my first name is just Lauren but it was always really interesting when it's always still interesting when people call me Lauren and it doesn't sound right but my family just always called me Isabel anyways and I'm always kind of resenting my family because I'm like why don't you just call me Lauren and not Isabel um my sister's name is Laura so my mom goes by Lauren and I go by Lauren and then my sister is Laura so it's like a lot (laughs) so I go by Isabel even though I was born first 
you know, my sister goes by her first name. But there's a there's a lot with names in my family. And I think as I get older, like when I choose when I chose what name I wanted to be called in college, I was like, I need to be called Isabel because I don't feel like Lauren. But Lauren is my real name so like people are gonna see Lauren on certain things like I want Lauren on my diploma but I don't want people to actually call me that so it's names are really hard and I think I've had to just reckon with it and then for some reason like I can't I mean I'm not gonna change it it's a lot of work and I have it a lot on my on all my papers and stuff which is really tough because even if I wanted to I can't that's just that's my name my name thing I just want to mention for the listeners in the chat right now, we're just talking about Lauren, Lauren, and Laura being a potential sitcom um, show. <laughs> question mark. Um, maybe to highlight your book and the stories that you've included about your mother and um, the beautiful story that you just shared. So yeah, that's just a bit of context for the listeners. But um, on the name train, um, I really relate to Magna on this as well. Like there's a, the most like, stupid resentment like of all the things to resent your um parents for like I resented mine like partially because of like having an ethnic name I was like we live in America it'd be so simple to just call me I don't know Ellie I don't know you know something similar right so um Nana means eyes in Hindi and um they named me they were either gonna name me Nana or Sunana Sunana was like I, I was always like it was kind of a joke between us it was like oh like um oh my god Ellie <laughs> Sorry, this is the name of our uh, podcast manager, director. So that's kind of funny. I remember like my dad would joke with me, oh, at least we didn't give you like Sunana. I imagine having like a three syllable name. Like, that'd be too much for the people, especially if it's like ethnic name. And I was like, yeah, thank you. Which is like a joke. But like within the joke, it's like so many layers of like sort of what Ethan was touching on. Like even with our names, which is like literally like the most connected thing to our identity, the most like the thing that establishes you most as a person, right? When you're like birth from the womb that's already an act in which many Asian people will try to like already be smaller and try to like marginalize themselves try to minimize themselves for the convenience of others and it's not even that inconvenient to like pronounce a few syllables that may be quote-unquote foreign to you like she like Eden said like it's just it's a bit of like it's really not that much of a shift for people to go through so I think names are just so significant in that way and um yeah thank you um Megna for bringing this topic up everyone talking about the nature of both literature and language especially with names uh it's really beautiful i I can't say much to be honest i have the most generic name in the world abigail lee i've met like an abigail lee before that's crazy but you know we're talking about all of our names but we would just like to kind of round out this episode by asking all of you listeners out there what should we be doing with our name see Dear Asian Girl has been existing for a long time um, under different co-hosts, different kinds of people. We've had directors. Everyone's been changing and such. Uh, And with our changing team, we have felt that perhaps our current name doesn't embody that new changing side of us. Yeah, Dear Asian Girl, some of us are girls, but not all of us are girls. And also the reality is our podcast isn't necessarily just for girls too. And so we're just going to kind of open up discussion now within all of us co-hosts, but also please, if you're out there listening, send us a DM, send us like a message. What is a good way for us to turn Dear Asian Girl into a more inclusive name, which reflects the reality of our podcast? 
Yeah, because the podcast was initially started and called Dear Asian Girl because it was an attempt to create a space and a podcast where those who didn't feel like they related to their cisgender, heterosexual, male lived experience could go for like a kind of safe space. And that's why it became explicitly Dear Asian Girl. And it wasn't just the Dear Asian Youth podcast. Um, And we are really keen to maintain that kind of priority. We still really want to carve out a space specifically for those kinds of people. But we do recognize that the kind of language we're using is a little bit, can quite easily be perceived as a little bit exclusionary. And we really aren't just for girls. We're for a lot more than just girls. We're here for the non-binary folks. And we're explicitly here for the queer folks and the trans folks. And we just want a way to make that very clear in our title, but obviously in a way that doesn't compromise on like, concision or make it a bit awkward there's also potential that we change our slogan so it's currently dear asian girl for asian girls by asian girls so we feel that that's really pushing the girl agenda which we're not exactly happy with because we're here for femmes and non-binary people and we're here for anyone who really aligns with the female experience whether or not they identify as a girl or a woman so we just want to make that really quite clear in our title um or at least in our slogan or in both So yeah, we would really love your guys' input because your thoughts are really important to us. So if you do want to share on our social media or send us a DM or anything like that, please do. And we'd love to hear from you. Okay. And with that discussion, we are going to end this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. And we really hope to get your input on this conversation so that we can, you know, we can support everyone who this podcast is targeted towards and so that we can be as inclusive as possible so yeah thanks so much for listening in and hope you guys have a wonderful wonderful day bye Bye. everybody bye Bye. isabel nuna say bye bye Bye.